Good morning. Great. Great to see you. Hope you're having a terrific summer. Our theme this morning is getting ready to be courageous. If I had to live life over again, I would have tried to be more courageous. I love the movie uh, on the life, early life of Winston Churchill called The Darkest Hour. Gary Oldham plays Churchill as Churchill becomes the prime minister of England in the early days of World War II. In those days, England virtually stood alone against the onslaught of the Nazi advances all over Europe. At the end of the movie, as it scrolls through to the end, this quote from Churchill comes on the screen. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It is the courage to continue that counts. I've come to courage late in life. When I was uh, writing my thesis at the University of Birmingham in England, I would uh, send my sections to my academic supervisor. And uh, he would read over those sections. And after I had done a long section and sent it to him, representing weeks and weeks of works, he wrote back this response. Well, everything you have here is fine. With one exception. I don't find you anywhere in it. You're the one doing the research. What do you think? What's your opinion? Why have you chosen to be absent? And as I read his comments, I realized that I had spent most of my life determining what I think, then trying to find experts who agreed with that and quoting them instead, rather than saying, this is what I think, for good or ill. And that began a journey on learning to be more courageous. Now that is complicated with another aspect of life. As I have observed people over the years, I find that people find themselves on a continuum of two kinds of people. Over here are people who naturally bend reality to their will. They have a high level of self-efficacy. If they drive, they're looking for a parking spot and there's a sign that says no parking, they think, yeah, but I'm only going to be in there for five minutes. I'll park there anyway. They bend reality to their will. And over here are people who have a few hills they're willing to die on. But other than that, they adapt their will to reality. Those two people usually marry. <laughs> and while they might not be on the extremes of the continuum, there are somewhere in between and so it leads to conversations like this, which this principle is, is maybe no better illustrated than on the decision whether to take something back to a store. The decision to return something, and it'll lead to a conversation like this. You know, honey, I just don't think this vacuum cleaner is working as well as it should. Really? Do you think we should buy a new one? No, no, I think we should take it back. Well, okay, but it's two years old. Yeah, but 
it's just not working as well as it should. Besides that, I've been online and the new, the new models have some new features. Well, honey, they would. It's two years newer. But I think we should take it back. But you know, honey, and here's the crux. I'm really busy this week. So the person who bends reality to their will, asks the person who adapts their will to reality, would you take it back for me? <laughs> this person is reluctant. And here's why they're reluctant. They know ahead of time. If they take it back with the inner reserve and timidity they carry, they're going to walk in, want to take this back, the... Uh, Person, personnel from the store finding out that they do not have a receipt and that it's two years old are going to say no and they're just going to turn around and go home. But they also know they are married to someone who invariably will come back with a new vacuum cleaner because the person who bends reality to their will will go in, the store personnel finding out that they do not have a receipt and that it's two years old will say no. They will kindly ask if they could see the manager. The manager will come out. They, ex they will explain again how they've been a faithful customer for many years and they just want the same model and they will come back inexplicably to the other person to whom they're married. They will come back with a new vacuum cleaner. So if you take a person whose history has led them to become more tentative, and then they're also a person who tends to bend their will to reality. We can easily become too timid. And so as we look at a story today from the book of Daniel, we're going to look at some people who live courageously. But what I want us to catch is that didn't happen as a spontaneous response. They learned, they got ready to be courageous. So when the moment came that courage was called for, they were ready to respond. So our story begins with conquest. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had laid siege to Jerusalem. They had conquered the city and as they returned to Babylon, they brought with them many of the exemplary, skilled, wise nobility from Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar said now to one of his aides, I want you to pick out some of the cream of the crop. People without flaw, that show wisdom, that are handsome, these were traits he was looking for, and I want you to train them in the ways of our culture and our language. We're even going to give them our names. And when they're ready, after three years, we're going to take the cream of that cream, and they're going to serve in our court. And chosen among them was Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Babylonian names given to three young men from Jerusalem. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the Babylonian culture. 
And so he told the man over them they did not want to eat the Babylonian diet. The man said, well, what do you want to eat? He says, we just want to eat vegetables and water. He said, if I give you vegetables and water, you will not thrive. And so we pick up that scripture here. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Where did that confidence come from? I want to suggest to you that that confidence was not a simple, spontaneous response to pressure. It came from doing their homework. And how do we do our homework? How do we get, how do we get ready ahead of time for that moment when courage will be called for? And I want to suggest to you three things. One, repetitive experience. Repetitive experience. Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast in the history of that sport, was being interviewed prior to the Olympics about her gymnastic experience. And she said rather testily, she recounted a a recent conversation where another young woman on the gymnastic team was, was asking her how old she was. And Simone Biles is 24. And the girl said, well, when did you start in gymnastics? And Simone Biles says, when I was seven. She says, that means you've been doing gymnastics for 17 years. Simone Biles says, yes. The girl said, that's older than I am. Simone Biles didn't like that. Can you imagine this woman who we read defies gravity? How many hundreds of times... She has done some of those jumps. You don't spontaneously do some of those things. If you and I are not committed to repetitive experience, we will not have the confidence when we need it that we can actually perform, execute those things that we need. The second persistent modeling? Are we hanging around people who are doing the thing that we want to do? Do you hang around courageous people? Uh, This couple weeks ago, I got to preach at a Bible camp over in uh, North Dakota for a week. And uh, an old friend of mine, Vernon Arnes, who's now in his mid-80s, and who was a pastor who used to come and visit me When I was a very young pastor in Iowa, he'd come over every couple Saturdays and he'd just have coffee with me and we'd just sit. And he'd talk to me. We've stayed in touch now from that time until now in his mid-80s. And as I saw him come on the campground, I just thought, here is a man whose constant modeling has given me courage. That if someone wants wants to know what courage looks like, 
I don't have to describe it. All I have to do is describe him. Year in and year out, faithful to the Lord. Faithful in the midst of physical adversity. Faithful in the midst of relational disappointment. Constantly, courageously faithful in the Lord. Repetitive experience, but also persistent modeling. The third is understanding and embracing our identity. Who are we? Miles Davis, the trumpet player, said sometimes it takes a long time to learn to play like who we are. It takes a long time to learn how to play like ourselves. Sometimes we're too willing to adapt ourselves to reality and end up betraying ourselves. Tozer said, the second most important thing anybody needs to know after the knowledge of God is the knowledge of who they are. And so when the angel came to Gideon, who was living in fear and intimidation, the angel called out to Gideon and said, O mighty warrior, this is who you are. The way you're living is not who you are. This is who you are. And how do I begin in my life to day after day embrace who I am? I love the Ken Burns documentary on country music and in one of the segments, he's interviewing Vince Gill. Vince Gill was considered one of the great guitar players of Nashville. But he was trying to sing, and his albums and his uh, success was, was almost non-existent. And he was at it for seven or eight years. But because of his voice and his enormous musical skill on the guitar, the leader of Dire Straits, the rock band, asked if he would join their band and tour with them. Vince Gill said... I love that band, and I love the kind of music they did. And he said, everything in me wanted to do that. It would have solved so many problems, financial problems, career problems. But he says, I sat by myself and thought, if I don't believe in me, why should I expect anybody else to believe in me? Who am I? And so, though everything in me wanted to join dire straits, he said, I turned them down. He says, I was going to sink or swim based upon who I thought I was. Repetitive experience, persistent modeling, embracing our identity. Do your homework ahead of time. That gives you confidence for that moment when you need to call on a courageous spirit. But there's a second thing I notice in this passage of scripture about getting ready to be courageous, and it doesn't seem to be something you would think of as connected to courage. Serve where you can to whomever you can. Serve where you can to whomever you can. And why would serving be connected to courage? Because serving, regardless of event or circumstance, Serving as an act of freedom. So Daniel and Mac, 
Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in Babylon. They've gained favor. But the king, as you read through the book of Daniel, is very impetuous. And he's had a dream, and he's called all of his soothsayers in, and all the magicians, and nobody can interpret his dream. And he gets angry, and finally he lashes out, and he says, let's just execute all the wise men. They have failed me. And that's where our story picks up again. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. To the king, Daniel said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And So Daniel interprets the dream for the king. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Serving wherever we can, whomever we can, is an act of freedom. I will not be imprisoned. It is a declaration, I will not be imprisoned by my circumstances, events, or history. Now, if you want an example of someone who was in prison, read the life of Jonah. When God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh in Assyria and preach to them, Jonah, in a fit of racism and anger, refused to go. But if you read anything about the background, you will, you will understand that Assyria was a constant enemy and threat to Israel. Not only that, they were known as a particularly cruel people. And when God asked Jonah to preach to them, Jonah said, no. We find out why he said no later in the book when he said, I knew that if I went there and preached, they would turn from their wickedness and they would turn from you to you and you would have mercy on them. And I didn't want them to have mercy and so I would not preach. For reasons of his own history and experience, Jonah refused to serve wherever he could, to whomever he could. My dad was a small farmer in northwest North Dakota, and generally a gentleman. We had a neighbor who shall remain nameless, who was a jerk. So my dad had some land next to his, and when this guy would summer follow, would till up his ground, he would start at the corner of his field, and then he would 
swing out all the way like this and then back to the corner again. And then when he was planting, he would plant like that. And so finally my dad had to take railroad ties and plant them in the corner of his field so he could show his neighbor, I know where the corners are, they're not out here. And then when we would pick rock, this guy would pick rock from his field, but a lot of the fields had big rock piles in the middle of them because you just pick the rock and you just dump them in a pile in the middle of the field. He would pick rock from his field and then my dad would see the tracks. He'd go over and he would dump it on my dad's pile of rocks. You would think life is too short for that kind of stuff, wouldn't you? But you know, some people like to bend reality to their will. <laughs> it was common in our neighborhood, if a farmer was going to put up a barn, he would ask the neighbors to help. And they would come over and for two or three days, all the neighbors would help build a barn. That happened on our property. And so this neighbor decided one day that he was going to build a barn and he sent out word to his neighbors. And he couldn't get enough neighbors to agree to help him build a barn. He had to hire it built. Except my dad. Who told him he'd come and help him build his barn. Now, he didn't have to do it because he couldn't get enough guys. But it wasn't because my dad wasn't willing to go over to that neighbor and help him build a barn, even though he was a crappy neighbor. There's freedom in that. Your behavior doesn't rule me my circumstances don't rule me. These events don't control me. And so even though Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were refugees and under the control and virtually slaves of another culture and empire, it did not control them. They lived courageously in the midst of that. So we have, how do we get ready for courage? We have doing our homework ahead of time and we have serving where you can, to whomever you can. And we have a third. Know what matters. If doing our homework gives us confidence and serving gives us freedom, then knowing what matters gives us clarity and in the moment of courage, we need clarity. So we pick up another crisis in the scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now having set this up, he gathered everyone together, all the officials of the land, had a big band strike up the music, and everyone was supposed to bow and worship at this great image. 
But others came to the king and said, There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are paying no attention to you, king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. The king replied to the three, having brought them before him, If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, you catch that? But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And thus, these men firmly tied fell into the fiery furnace. What clarity. In the midst of imminent mortal danger, we know our God can deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not bow. When Eric Lytle from Scottish parents, born in China, went to the Summer Olympics in Paris in 1924. He was considered one of the great 100-meter runners of the day. But having discovered that the heats for the 100 meters were to be run on a Sunday, he refused to run though many pressured him to do so. He did not refuse obnoxiously, recklessly, nor indifferently. His faith guiding him, he just chose that that is not a day he would run on. He responded with such clarity And so it was decided somebody else would run his specialty and instead he would move up to the 400 meter where on the appointed day for that race he won the gold medal. Later, Eric Lytle, who became a missionary to China, would die in a Japanese concentration camp having served the Lord courageously both as an Olympic contestant and as a missionary. He lived out his story. It became Chariots of Fire, the Oscar-winning movie. But he lived out his story with such clarity. Now, I think Eric Lytle was like all of us. None of us have clarity on every issue all the time. Sometimes in the fog of information, we lack clarity. 
And because of that fog, it's important for us to gain clarity when the fog is not present. So we know who we are, we know what we believe, and we can stand in the midst of the storm. So we read in the New Testament, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And we have Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane under the shadow of the cross, sweating as it were, the Bible says, drops of blood, who says to his father, if it's possible, let this cup the cup of the death of the cross passed from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So if I want courage, it's wise to develop that courage ahead of time by doing my homework, by serving where I can, whomever I can, and by knowing what matters in my life. It might be of encouragement to us as we finish to talk about somebody who did this in his life. One of the Apostle Paul's fellow workers was Timothy. Timothy was a timid man. He often lacked courage. When Paul sent Timothy to Corinth, uh, a, a combustible church, he writes the Corinthians ahead of time and he says, now put Timothy at ease and let no one despise him and help him on his way. He knew that Timothy was going to find this assignment difficult, that he was going to find rousing the courage within him to face the difficulties that that church had that that would be a difficult task. When he wrote Timothy, in second, first and second Timothy, he said, now Timothy, fan into flame the gift you've received. Don't let this thing lay dormant. Be more assertive. Fan into flame the gift you have received. He told them later, the Lord has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. He says to him later, do not be ashamed. Constantly, repetitively encouraging Timothy to be courageous. Timothy, in the midst of this natural timidity, tried to take the advice of Paul who was a constant, persistent modeler of courage until Paul would one day say of Timothy, I have no one like him. And as Paul wrote the very last words of the last letter that he writes in the New Testament, four times he talks to Timothy about coming to see him. Paul writing from prison in Rome. He says, Timothy, come as fast as you can. He says, Timothy, come. And when you come, bring John Mark. He says, Timothy, I'm looking for your coming. And 
Remember to bring my coat. Stop by Carpus and get my coat that I'd left there. And then at the very end, he says, Timothy, come before winter. This timid man who often often needed encouragement to be courageous became for Paul the man of whom he says, I have no one like him. So if you or I are battling with some sense of deficiency in an area of our life, remember, as with courage, we can learn ahead. We can get ready to be courageous. And I believe that's the Lord's word for us today. Let's bow our heads as we finish up. As we just wait for a moment with our heads bowed in prayer, could you ask of the Lord that he bring to mind for you today some area in which you need to be courageous? Perhaps you're facing an issue of health, finances, relationship, a besetting sin or a struggle over a character flaw that bothers you and creates difficulty for you. And could you ask, Lord, as you taught Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would you prepare me to be courageous, courageous in the face of this issue? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you for your many kindnesses. We thank you for your gentleness towards us in the midst of our sense of inadequacy. And I pray you will help us in the face of some of these things that we know we want to be courageous, courageous before, that you will help us as you help Timothy to experience the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ who stands by our side. In his name we pray, amen. Space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire. 
standing next to me is another in the waters holding back the seas should I ever be reminded of how I've been set free is a cross that bears the dirt and never die for me is another in the Death left for dead beneath the walls I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between What remains of me and this reckoning Either way I will bow to the things of this world And I know, I know I will never be
where you'll be a sing now. I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be 